Whatever you do, do your thing. That was Do Your Thing, parts one and two. The band is named Zapata, and that is a track from Texas Funk, Black Gold from the Lone Star State, 1968 to 1975. The Isaac Hayes hit do your thing by zapata before that also telling us to do it the pink fairies that's from uh 1971 the pink fairies with do it and we opened that set with the yardbirds mister you're a better man than i from 1965 well we here at mutiny radio will continue to do our thing and if you'll join me next Friday at 10 a.m. to do my thing on the morning train. I'd love that. Until that time, this is J.D. Buell saying, make it a great day for someone. about a revolution sounds don't you know talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper while they're standing in the welfare lines crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation wasting time in the unemployment lines sitting around waiting for Get their share Poor people gonna rise up And take what's there
Welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's Friday, November 18th, 2016. Back after being away for about two weeks. Came back to some terrible news. Well, the news was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. You know, we, we knew. I think a lot of us knew this was coming. And now we're here to deal with it. And a lot of folks who have been doing activism for a very long time, uh, some other folks are beginning to wake up to this. That the system is broken Actually, no, there's a great quote that the uh, the system is working as it's designed to, which is why we need to stop investing in it and uh, stop working with it. <sighs> a lot of people have been shocked about the election results. And again, this was like last week. I was out of town last week and still heard the news. And I was traveling with a friend of mine who has been studying this and was he had predicted 49 of the 50 states correctly. So he'd been... So he kind of told me the day before, so part of me was a lot less uh, surprised by it, and I had time for it to sink in. And I think there's a lot of folks for they people weren't quite expecting this. And so then it's, you know, what are we doing to to protect ourselves and our loved ones? And that's been something that a lot of people have been dealing with for a very long time, and other folks seem to seem to look away when folks have been talking about white supremacy and the dangers of capitalism and the the way the system <laughs> is set up in this country and I guess around the world in a lot of places. Uh, I guess there's, and I'm guilty of this as well, like I, I might be aware of it, but you know, what actions have been done to really change that, to combat that, to create new ways of being. And now we're seeing it and happen in a way that's undeniable. Although some people are still in denial. Some people are saying, oh, you'll survive it. And a friend of mine made, made a really good point. There's the folks saying, oh, well, you know, you survived Reagan, you survived Bush. And uh, a lot of people didn't survive those decades. A lot of people were lost. And a lot of people have been lost in recent decades as well. So it's not, it's, it's not to say, oh, let's just look the other way. It's what can we do right now? There have been a number of attacks. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a, a great organization that folks should check out. You should support. You should donate. Uh, there have been over, as of a couple days ago, there were over 400 uh, attacks, and this is based a lot. There's like a lot of racist attacks. There have been uh, homophobic, anti-Semitic. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of misogynist attacks. And for folks who've been paying attention, that's what this country has been founded on, pretty much. And since 1492, you know, the folks kind of came over here, and with their idea of what values are, ended up murdering people and oppressing people. And going against a lot of what was here already in terms of folks taking care of each other and looking out for each other. So that's been here for a long time, and now we're seeing an uptick in it. And then one thing I wanted to talk about today, I posted a little <laughs> status about it. 
uh, is gaslighting. And that's something that's really dangerous. And when we think about fascism and folks speaking up about it, like, hey, this this problematic thing is happening. And that's been happening for a long time, too, whether it's, you know, folks speaking up about being attacked by cops, for instance, and other people wanting to look away, say, oh, well, it's not all cops or wanting to gaslight people who talk about their experiences. Uh, Same could be said for a rape apologist or a Holocaust denier. It's on the same level. When someone says, hey, I've been hurt, someone's attacking me, and other people decide to look the other way or not believe the person who's saying it, that's that's your part of the problem when you do that. So I had an instance uh, recently, there was a, well, every day there's a fucking instance pretty much. Um, If you listen to the show, you know how I feel about law enforcement. I don't trust law enforcement. And also just recognizing the roots of law enforcement, the cops in this country, they start off as uh, slave patrols. So for folks who don't recognize that, just because the police haven't been mean to you or they haven't hurt you or your friends doesn't mean they're not out there hurting other people. When we look at these protests, whether it's for the, you know, the folk, the water protectors who are out there trying to protect the earth, protect the water, and the cops are sent in to harass the protectors, when they're out there, when folks are taken to the streets to protest a fascist being elected, the cops are the ones who are sent in to hurt people. They're protecting these invested interests. They're there to serve and protect, but they're serving and protecting the wealthy classes. And for a lot of us who speak up against it, people say, oh, just a few bad apples. Or I know some cops, and they're, they're good guys. And, you know, if they're good guys, why don't they turn in their, their colleagues who are out there committing these crimes? There's a, a Castro community patrol, some folks in the Castro who... The idea is to keep the community safe, and there's that part of me that's like very much like, yes, into self-defense classes. How can we protect ourselves, especially things that do not involve the state? That's one big thing I'm going to talk about today. And I also encourage folks to call in. Please do share your ideas, your resources, anything you can. The more ideas and the more people we have on board sharing, the better off we'll be. So you can call in at 415-550-0511. So this one person, representative of the board, you know, he, he was speaking, and he was talking about how, you know, you should call the police if you have a if you're suffering an attack or you're going to get attacked or something, not even get attacked. But if you do, you need to like report to the police. And I, they asked if anyone had any questions. So I of course spoke up immediately. It's not always easy for me to do. It might seem like it is, but I oftentimes don't speak up and I've been trying really hard to, to let my voice be heard. And so I said, well, you know what? Uh, how about alternatives to calling the police? Cause a lot of the time the police are the ones causing the problems and also not everyone feels safe with the police. So especially within the LGBT community, like, hello, when we look back to Stonewall, why, who do you think people were rebelling against? It was the, it was the cops. And so the, the representative said, uh, he's like, I assure you that your, you know, your feelings about the police are false. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> hold on. You know, it's one thing for people to have differing opinions. A lot, we all have, not everyone, no one agrees on exactly all the same things at all, of course. Um, and the way to get through that is to have conversations and to listen to one another. And if, especially if someone's in a more like marginalized group, they should be the ones who have the floor. They should be the ones who are listened to. And so this this person said, oh, my, my feelings about the police were false. And it's like, wait a second. I've had officers both in San Francisco and New York put their hands on me when I haven't done anything wrong. And if I had done something wrong, it's like you can do things without putting your hands on someone. Both instances in San Francisco where they were the officers, officers who are serving and protecting were harassing people on the street. And I was like, this is not okay. And uh, long story short, I ended up with them putting their hands on me. And this is, of course, so minor compared to what a lot of police do. So for someone to say that my opinions about that are false uh, was extremely demeaning, infantilizing, and it's gaslighting. It's say, oh, you know that like somehow uh, my experience is not valid. 
and this comes from someone I'm privileged. I People view me as someone on the more masculine end of the spectrum, someone on the more white end of the spectrum. So I can walk through the world able-bodied, like all these things that my body, that people view my body as. I have so much privilege just walking through the world like this, and I have problems with the fucking cops. So gaslighting so then i spoke to this person he was like open to having conversation which i appreciate we need to have conversation we need to have dialogue and i spoke to him afterwards and he re- he literally gave me the bad apples theory he said oh there's maybe like 30 bad cops out of 1700 in san francisco and i was like okay first of all i don't think that's true second of all 30 is still too many when they're murdering people that, that's that's too many one one bad apple is too many and that's not even i don't even believe in that because if they're defending their colleagues who are killing people they're not good cops and now we're seeing more and more protests, and the cops are the ones who are out there. A lot of times they're inciting the violence, and then they blame the, they blame the protesters. That's how it works. Or they'll infiltrate. They've infiltrated groups throughout time, like the Black Panther Party, for instance. They'll infiltrate. They'll get people infighting. They'll come in and get these groups to... They'll, first of all, they'll kill people, and they will also get folks to fight within, the, within these groups that are actually actively uh, just fighting to take care of one another, to survive in this world. And so I think it's really important for folks to know their history. It's really, really important. It's not just like, all of a sudden, I think there's some, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I feel like for some folks, it's like the election didn't go the way some people wanted. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, things aren't, things aren't right. Wait a second, there's white supremacy in this, in this country. And that's what people have been saying for a long time. So if you do feel like being active, if it's something that you haven't done in the past or you want to partake in it, please, please, please. Do look to people who have been doing it for a long time and follow their lead. Especially if you happen to be a white person, please be in the back. Do what you can to support, but also don't co-opt it. Don't try to take it over. Don't act like you know how things are going to go. You can use your privilege and your resources, but please recognize that people have been doing this for a very long time. Please, 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 if you want to partake in it, listen. Step back, listen, read, do what you can, and see what's already been going on for a very, very long time. I'm going to go in about the fucking election. It happened on my birthday. It's a pretty shitty birthday present. I, I'm not really into presents, but... And I kind of knew, as I said, I mentioned, I was traveling with a friend of mine who kind of told me this was what was going to happen, and I was like, ooh. So I kind of was prepared for it. Um, and I also think about patterns, and like I'm kind of into like symbolism, and I think the world's full of fucking chaos, and I get that not everyone, and I do believe in logic, and then also... People don't necessarily want to believe in chance, but I'm also like seeing patterns where the last time election day fell my birthday was uh, George H.W. Bush was elected. So I'm like, ooh, that's a bad, you know, and again, I'm not saying I think the whole two party system's fucked and I think the whole system is fucked. So it's almost doesn't matter who you get in office, although some people are less problematic than others. I think it's fair to say, but the whole system's fucked. Anyway, long story short, it's not, no, it's going to be a long story and it's not going to be short. It's my show and I will talk as long as I want to until Val comes in at 2 p.m. Anyway, so going with patterns, the last time the election fell my birthday was 1988, and I remember even as a as an eight year old, I was like, oh, this was it was a bad birthday because my parents were like, oh, this is not good, and uh, so I was like, oh, that's a bad, you know, that's a bad pattern. Oh, last time it fell my birthday, a Republican, you know, got elected, and then the last time I was also I was out of the country on my birthday, which I was grateful for, um, and the last time I was out of the country on election day, uh, W was elected. <laughs> So I was like, oh, wait, it's on my birthday, and I'll be, I'm out of the country. This is a really bad pattern, and it's not like I'm trying to make this happen. And, of course, I also was very critical of the Democratic nominee. So, um, And that's something else I need to discuss, is that I wonder if she'd been elected. These attacks have been happening. There was a church in the South, a black church that was, that was burned. 
um, that happened before the election. There were attacks, there were incidents that were occurring before the election. And I don't doubt for a second that if Clinton had been elected, that these attacks would have stopped. Obviously, I'm not happy that this fascist and all the fascists that he's um, appointing to positions in the White House, I'm, of course, it's terrible that this is happening. Absolutely. And I think it's also incredibly important that we recognize, even if Clinton had been elected, these attacks would still be happening. We can't say to which degree, but I mean, these attacks were happening regardless. People need to realize that. And this goes back to the whole gaslighting thing, that this, this has been happening in this country for a really long time. Something else, people seem to be pointing the blame, a lot of the DNC supporters have been pointing the blame at a lot of places aside from themselves. And I, I recognize I need to, you know, it's, I realize I'm on a soapbox with this show, and I, I don't want to act like I'm holier than now. I would love to be wrong. I would love to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I've been doing this show for three years, and I'm totally wrong about everything. What a waste of time and money and energy that I put into this. And ugh, I would love that if I were to wake up tomorrow and realize I was wrong about being not necessarily afraid, but really angry at the system. I would love to be proven wrong. Please. That would be great. Oh, I can be safe. My friends can be safe. My loved ones can be safe walking down the street. We don't have to worry about our health care. People don't have to worry about being deported. People don't have to worry about being attacked. I would love to be wrong. I would love it. Unfortunately, I think I'm, I'm right about this. So people were blaming third-party voters. I'm a third-party voter. And some people were actually asking third-party voters to apologize that somehow this fascist getting elected is the, is the fault of the third-party voters and not necessarily the fault of, I don't know, the system being corrupt, the fact that it's a two-party system, the fact that the DNC pushed Bernie Sanders out. And I know some folks don't want to listen to that. And I'll come up with, pl there, there's plenty of fucking evidence that they pushed him out. They didn't want him there. And even if you don't want to listen to any of that at all, how about the fact that Hillary could have asked him to be her VP? If the main goal at the end of the day is to make sure that fascists don't take control of the fucking White House, don't get rid of a person who would have been a huge, a very strong candidate who had a huge following, and then why not ask him to be included? Why not run with him? Why not collaborate? If he has this many followers, let's say, for instance, hypothetically, although I don't believe it to be true, hypothetically say the, that the Clinton campaign was totally clean and totally... Didn't, they, there was no rigging. There was no trying to get Bernie out of there. I, that, there's plenty of evidence that they did. But say, for instance, that everything was totally valid. Then why would you still choose Tim Kaine? Why not choose Bernie to be your fucking running mate? If he has this kind of a following, if the main goal at the end of the day is to defeat fascism, why not collaborate with folks who can do that? Nothing. And instead, people are blaming each other. People are blaming third-party voters, and it's so frustrating. I've been unfriended. I've been shamed for voting, voting third-party. As if I'm somehow supporting fucking fascism. As if I somehow voted for him. As if I somehow wanted it. When I voted for my conscience. I've always lived in a fucking blue state, as far as voting goes. When it's left in years, I've been always registered in a fucking blue state. And I voted my conscience. The one time I did not vote for my conscience was in 2004, and the same fucking thing happened. People said, we can't have W be back in office. You have to fucking vote for John Kerry. I'm like, I don't like John Kerry, but all right, fine. Even though I was registered in New York, I voted blue. The state went blue. It didn't fucking matter. He still lost. And I didn't, I didn't vote for my conscience that year. And it wasn't going to happen again. I wasn't going to be bullied into voting for someone I don't believe in. I'm not going to vote for a warmonger. I'm not going to vote for someone who's into fucking Wall Street and corporations. That's against everything I stand for. And I recognize that misogyny has played a huge role in why people don't like her. That's part of it, sure. But it also, it doesn't matter. I keep on saying I would love it if, first of all, I'd love no one to be in charge. 
But I would love it if just women were in charge. I would love it. That'd be great for the world. Absolutely. But that's not going to, that's not going to like overrule everything about this person. If someone was transgender and they were running for president and they were a warmonger, I wouldn't vote for them. Identity doesn't, isn't going to fucking push me that far. So it feels very, very frustrating. The fact that I voted for someone who was anti-war, who has actually went out to North Dakota to stand with the water protectors, who wants to get rid of student debt, who believes everyone should have health care and housing and have their basic fucking rights, who wants to get rid of the massive, who wants to really tackle mass incarceration, all these things I really care about. Somehow me using my vote to vote for that is somehow part of the problem? How entitled and how demeaning is that? And plus, we're on the same side. I'm not the enemy here. I'm not. And that's what's been really frustrating. I feel like the left is a snake that's eaten its own tail. The infighting that's happened. And there's not a lot of room for conversation. There was just like, oh, you're not with us, then you're against us. If you're not voting for our candidate, you must want the other candidate to win. And from what I've heard, granted, I don't know too, I don't, I don't know personally anyone who voted for Trump. I met this woman when, I met one person who did. Um, the thing is, and who she said she would have voted for Bernie, ironically enough, um, if he had been running. People wanted, from what I've heard, like, yes, white supremacy and racism exist, and that was something that people were not willing to overlook. Or they let it overlook. Perhaps I'm not speaking that correctly. They, like, kind of didn't, they didn't, that wasn't enough for them to not vote for Trump, which is super problematic. And there's a lot of people who voted for Trump because they didn't like Clinton. And there's a lot of people who voted for Clinton who didn't like Trump. That was like their main thing. Like, I don't want this other person to win, so I'm going to vote for this other candidate that I don't like. And that's something else. I was thinking, how, what kind of, I, I believe that things are messed up and fraudulent. And also, can you imagine what it would have been like if this election cycle we had had, first of all, I mean, we had more than two candidates, but like really had more than, first of all, if we had more than this idea of two choices, which we did, but like really fairly had more than two, two more, two, more than two that were represented. If, whew, what if they were candidates that everyone was like, really excited about or the majority of people were excited about? Instead of having two candidates that like a lot of people didn't like either one of them, what if it was like, oh, I, I don't know who's going to win, but either way, it'll be great. In this case, a lot of us were like, oh, either way, it's going to be bad. Really? Can you imagine if it was like, oh, we're going to get the communist or the socialist? Oh, I don't know. Both could be really good. But that didn't happen. So I think the system is flawed. And I would imagine, and there are a lot of people who are providing resources, and I hope for folks who are listening, please do call in, let me know, let us know, share your resources. People have been, one positive thing from this is that people are waking up and beginning to share resources as to how we can help one another. I think that's really important. And I think it has to come, as I've been saying for a very long time, from out of the system. I like that people are calling the representatives, and the representatives seem to be saying something about the people that Trump's appointing. And at the same time, we need to fucking find a way completely out of the system that's not involved with elected officials at all. We need to find ways to make sure everyone has medication, people have housing, people have food. Oh, wait, we've been saying this for a long time, even before the election. But we need to really find a way that's not involved with the state, that's not involved with the government, completely separate. We can't rely on it. We cannot rely on it to protect us. We cannot rely on elected officials to protect us. Yes, I think it's great to fucking call up your representatives and have them apply pressure, because I feel like we need to do anything in any way possible inside the system, outside the system. Absolutely. I feel like it would be in our best interest if we applied the pressure to do things completely outside the system. That way, if folks inside the system, things fucking fall apart, that's on them. That won't affect us. I mean, it will affect us, but like, we can't, 
we can no longer put our energy into an act, uh, interacting with a system that clearly doesn't care about us. <sighs> Getting back to the whole third party thing, and I'll be done with it shortly. Again, I also have a lot of respect for fucking anarchists. I have a lot of respect for folks who choose not to vote because the system, as they believe, is flawed. Colin Kaepernick decided not to vote because he said, you cannot vote your way out of oppression. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. <sighs> the idea that some folks were, people were blaming third-party voters before the election and blaming third-party voters afterwards. And it's, it's like this thing that can't, it's totally hypocritical because before people were saying, your vote doesn't matter. If you vote third, third party, your vote doesn't matter. And then afterwards, people were blaming third-party voters for throwing the election. So which is it? Does my vote not count at all? Or did it ruin the election for you? Which is it? Choose a fucking argument. Pretty angry. Feels good to get it out. And overall, I mean, I've been angry for a long time. If you listen to the show, it's not like, wow, Roman's really angry this week. No, no. I've been feeling this way for a very long time. We know that. We know that. And it's good. It's a matter of, as John Lydon said, anger is an energy. So what are we going to do with this energy? And there's a meme going around, don't mourn, organize. And that's how it's been. How are we going to use our anger to to create something new? How are we going to use this to protect ourselves and each other? That's the thing, too, is each other. And that's the great thing I've been seeing is that more solidarity. And I've been saying that for a long time. If all LGBTQ, if all women, if all POC, if all marginalized groups, Muslims, Jews, uh, folks who are disabled, if everyone were immigrants, everyone would just fucking come together for real, for real come together. Like, we got them outnumbered. We, if we have each other's backs, full stop, we got them outnumbered. We take care of it. It's done. But there is a lot of infighting, and there's a lot of isms within those, those own communities. So if we can't even like be strong as a community together and have each other's backs within our individual communities, how are we going to do it on a global scale? That's a question. But I've been seeing some folks you know, like really talking about intersectionality. How can we really support each other? Because at the end of the day, that's one thing, is that they're targeting so many marginalized communities that like, it's like they're going to fucking run out of people. Like There's going to be no one left to, like, for them to oppress, except for themselves. So we really have to come together. Really, really, really have to come together. If you have ideas, resources, anything at all, please give us a call, 415-550-0511. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. I started off the show with a song by Bad Religion. Uh, change of ideas. We do need a change of ideas. Cause, and I think there's a lot of ideas that have been around for a long time. We need to like listen to those. Folks fighting from without, outside of the system, we need to listen to those. And then, of course, amazing Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution, a song that will never get old. Maybe one day we'll have that fucking revolution. Maybe we're in it right now. But yeah, when are people going to rise up and take what's theirs? We need that. I went to karaoke last night. My friend Dana hosts a great karaoke night at OMG. And uh, quite often I'll sing a Rage Against the Machine song. Definitely last night really felt it. So I sang Killing in the Name. Had to change a few of the lyrics because it's, you know, those who work forces talking about law enforcement and how there's a correlation between white supremacy and the KKK and the folks who have infiltrated law enforcement. So I had to change some of the lyrics to be like some folks in government, you know, like who have been elected into the government. They're also white supremacists. So I sang it and I was like very angry. Um, it's good to get it out. And then the person who went up after me had signed up for Kesarasara. And it was just, <laughs> just a great, like, uh, that's a great segue right there. You know, <laughs> both sides of it being super angry and then you know well whatever will be will be but i suggest fighting um and also just as a grandchild of a fucking holocaust survivor i think for a lot of us it's like we've seen this before a lot of us have seen this before 
And that's something else that's just going back to the whole gaslighting thing. It's so frustrating for people to be like, oh, you'll get through it. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. Like a lot of us have lost family members because of this, our ancestors. So you can't just say, oh, just ignore it or you'll get through it. No, we need now is the time. Yesterday was the fucking time to prevent it from happening. But now that it's like going to happen, we need to do everything we can to protect each other, to make sure it doesn't happen again. I was thinking of uh, The Twilight Zone, probably my favorite show of all time, I would say, overall. And there's a, one of the great episodes, one of the more popular ones, too, is called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And it's out on Netflix, so if you haven't seen it or you want to watch it again, please do. It's uh, easy to find, season five, episode three. And it's pretty much about gaslighting. It's like this guy, uh, William, played by William Shatner, who's like, he, he's just he's been in recovery for a little bit for six months and then he's he's back on a plane with his wife and he's the plane starts flying and he thinks he sees like this monster on the side of the plane and no one else can see it and he's like the entire time should i give it away i mean everyone's probably pretty much seen it go see it though but it's pretty much about gaslighting and it's about how someone can see something and be like hey listen this is happening this is a problem and other people either refuse to see it or don't believe the person who's saying it and how problematic that is and that's how i've been feeling a lot of the time I saw a sticker that I'm pretty sure was a fucking white supremacist sticker on a garbage can in Noe Valley, not far, not far from where I am. And I was scratching it off and I saw someone I knew and they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, there have been like swastikas being around. Like I've heard of like Nazi flag. Like there's been a lot of shit and being posted and like around the country and the sticker, I'm pretty sure like 95% is like a fucking white supremacist sticker. And so I was like scratching it off with my keys and you know, she kind of like this person walked away, and everyone who was there also was like looking at me like I was doing something crazy. And I'm like, wait a second, oh no, no. And I felt just like fucking William Shatner. I'm like, no, 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 this is a fucking problem right here. Don't pretend that it's not there. Don't. I think that happened to me yesterday, or maybe it was the day before. I haven't kept track, but yeah, maybe it was the day before. It happened. And there have been reports of, like, in schools. And there's also just this idea of, like, people asking for evidence. There have been a number of attacks. Even here in the Bay Area, there's been gay bashings. There have been racist attacks. There have been people who have been sexually assaulted. Like, people keep on asking for, like, evidence. And it's, like, that's the thing, too. I, I fucking hope, I mean, like, I'm hoping that none of this happens to, like, anyone anymore. But the, 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 the fact that the burden of proof is on the people who are being attacked is really, what is that saying? I mean, imagine if something happens to me, my first instinct is going to be to survive, not to be like, oh, by the way, this thing happened to me. Which goes into something else I've been wanting to say for a while. And I've told some people, um, there's a lot of suicidal ideation within the LGBT community. I've felt it too. Like there's depression. I've lost a lot of friends through that. And as angry and as upset and depressed as I get, please note that if I take, I would not take my own life. If something happens to me, please look at the fucking state. Please do. Hopefully we don't have to fucking get to this, but I want to have it on record as saying that like something fucking happens to me. It's not, it's not me who did it. And I'd much rather have it like, it's not, it's not on me. It's not. And it's, it's terrible that we have to fucking get to this place and I have to actually say it out loud, but that's how it is. I mean, the system has gotten it so that people end up killing each other because, or killing themselves because they can't survive in this, in this culture. I've lost a number of friends to this. If you're, if you're not killed by the fucking state, people take it upon themselves to kill themselves. And I think it, what it would be like to turn that anger outward? And obviously, to live in a nonviolent world, yes. And at the same time, we need to defend ourselves by any means necessary. And I totally stand by that. 
I don't want I don't want to lose any more of my friends. I don't by any by any any stretch at all. I don't. There've been a number of there's been an increase in they they say like from some of the the trans and the LGBT support lines that there's been an increase in calls and people who are worried about what this impending inauguration is going to mean for people and like before that even before that there already were it already is difficult enough as an lgbtq person for a lot of the time to survive there's a lot of messages saying that we're not okay that we're not good enough that there's something wrong with us and we've got this fucking vp who believes in conversion therapy which is torture and there's a lot of speculation that he himself is gay i don't doubt that for a fucking second so when you have that coming up against us I hope everyone who's listening to this and or knows someone who's LGBT, like Q, anywhere on the fucking spectrum, remind them that you fucking love them and know that I love them and that they're okay the way they are and do everything you fucking can to protect them. And just because these people are in positions of power doesn't mean that they're right, doesn't mean what they're doing is, is just or is okay or is acceptable by any means. We need more people to stand up for one another. And that goes by, you know, through all identities, all identities. Because you're not feeling it right now doesn't mean that your neighbor isn't, doesn't mean that your friends aren't or your family members aren't. People are being attacked and the system is built to fucking attack marginalized people. Look at the fucking prison population. That's something else with people don't talk about with the fucking voting. Six million people were incarcerated and couldn't vote. And that's something that's extremely agitating too, especially some of the folks who are so hardcore Hillary supporters. Look at the 90s. When, first of all, also, not first of all, I mean, continue listening to the show, check out 13th, which is a great documentary on Netflix. Please, please, please watch it. It talks about the increase in mass incarceration, and so much of it increased in the 90s. So I think it's kind of ironic that some of the, the DNC, they're blaming, you know, third-party voters for not voting for them, when, uh, because, and uh, yes, of course, people should not be blamed for what their husbands or their partners do. Um, at the same time, it's kind of ironic that during the Clinton administration, so many more people, a lot of black and brown folks, were locked up, and now they're unable to vote. So people who may have voted for Clinton uh, are unable to because the person she was married to went forward with, uh, with bills and with legislation that ended up locking them up. That's fucking, I mean, I don't want to say fucking karma because the, the humans, the people, the people are the ones who are punished for this and that's something else i'm going to go into i'm going to go into the fucking democrats and that's the thing too i don't have any fucking allegiance to them yeah maybe things might be a little bit less worse yeah things are less worse but does that mean they're going to like not bomb people there's an article that came out recently about how uh, all the folks that uh, during the obama administration people who've been killed by drone attacks and people who've been deported there's been a very high rate of people who have been deported. And so during the Obama administration, so to be, to say that all of a sudden now, oh my God, now things are really bad. It's like, things have been bad. Things have already been bad. The system is fucking bad. The system is hurting people. And to an extent, it doesn't matter who we have in there. As long as you have law enforcement enacting these terrible laws and punishing people, human fucking beings many of whom were fucking here in this country before uh, it was invaded by the fucking pilgrims. It, 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 <sighs> feels good to get this out, I have to say. It really does. And I'd like to see more anger from people. I guess we, we're seeing it from the other, from the opposite. I don't want to say the opposition because that's to assume that like 
anger is fucking valid. It's like, what do we do? Where do we put, where do we put this anger? My friend Amani wrote this. Who's an activist in New York. I'm going to read what Amani wrote because it's so fucking brilliant and, and on and on point. And um, I think also as a comedian, there's this idea that you want to punch up when you make fun of people. When you make jokes, do it at the expense of the upper fucking classes. Do it at the expense of the folks who are in positions of power. And we need to do that in our daily day lives too. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of fear going on. I myself have participated in it, and I'm really ashamed of that. I've lashed out at friends, people I've been very close to. I've hurt people I've been close to because I've been afraid. And people have been hurting me, so then I hurt them back, or, you know, and that's like no excuse. It's, there's no way to justify it. I'm trying to understand it and trying to undo that. I can't undo it. I can't. But I can try my best, not even try, I will do my best to ensure that I no longer take out my anger on the people who I'm close to, people who are also marginalized. That's not going to do anything. We need to take it out on the oppressive forces. We do. We need to come together and take out our anger on them. It's very valid to be angry, but we cannot do it amongst each other. There's a great idea, and that's to uh, attack the system and not each other. Attack the system, not each other. So, Amani Henry Wonderful activist. Check out Before uh, before It's Gone, Take It Back. Equality for Flatbush, a lot of great organizations based out of New York. Um, Anti-gentrification. So Amani wrote, A gentle reminder to myself and others. One of the most important ways folks can show solidarity in this period is to practice kindness with each other. We truly have no idea what economic, medical, or personal situation someone may be currently living through or what racist, sexist, anti-LGBTQ, ageist, ableist, etc., act of violence they had just endured. Now more than ever, my plan is to be more mindful of this and to save all my venom and rage for landlords and cops and show more love and kindness to my comrades and community. I will always attribute this hashtag to the amazing Ju Hyun Kang. Every day should be hashtag love your comrade day. Hashtag let's get free. I, I cannot uh, sign on to that more. I just absolutely. Uh, speaking of some anger, here's here's an ang- here's a song about just staying with what you feel and staying righteous about it. Too late to make it right I probably would 
Crazy what you could have had. Crazy what you could have. 
Hello. Welcome back. That was R.E.M., of course. I didn't say of course, but with uh, country feedback uh, off the Out of Time album. <sighs> Before that, Dixie Chicks with Not Ready to Make Nice. So as I was with a friend of mine, we were listening to country. So the song is called Country Feedback, and it's about a breakup, but it's also like the we were listening to it in the week after the election and just thinking about what we could have had. You know, it's crazy what you could have had in this idea of if Sanders, for instance, or there's been someone who could have maybe led the country in a different direction was taking, was about to take the helm. And again, of course I have a lot of distrust of the system itself, but it's crazy what you could have had. Um, I think about that a lot. And, uh, I feel like, you know, things were maybe designed this way because, uh, the majority of the people are angry and want change. And then the way that was offered was only through this really violent rhetoric. I'm going to do my best to share some resources and share some positive stories about people coming together. There's also, of course, there's a lot of terrible things happening. And at the same time, there's a lot of people coming together and taking action. And I think it's extremely important to recognize that and, and to celebrate people who are fucking speaking up. And so we can encourage more people to do that. Very, very, very important. First of all, the first one I'm going to read is more of a kind of a warning, not kind of a warning, but it's a warning for sure. And so I wanted to, to read that um, first of all, to get that out. Um, cause I think it's, it's important that we know, first of all, how to fight and what we're up against. Um, and this comes from a writer who is uh, from Russia. So it's important to know what we're up against. So this comes from the New York review of books and the title is autocracy, autocracy rules for survival by Masha Gessen. And you can find this, um, there's a, a larger article I posted on the weekly review page, weekly review, uh, facebook.com slash weekly review. No, that's not it at all. It's <laughs> how long have I been doing this show? It's facebook.com slash weekly rev. Um, so you can find the article there. Um, so yeah, it's written by uh, Masha Gessen. Thank you, my friends. Thank you. Thank you. We have lost. We have lost. And this is the last day of my political career. So I will say what must be said. We are standing at the edge of the abyss. Our political system, our society, our country itself are in greater danger than at any time in the last century and a half. The president elect has made his intentions clear and it would be immoral to pretend otherwise. We must band together right now to defend the laws, the institutions, and the ideals on which our country is based. That, or something like that, is what Hillary Clinton should have said on Wednesday. Instead, she said, resignedly, we must accept this result and then look to the future. If Donald Trump is going to be our president, we owe him an open mind and the chance to lead. Our constitutional democracy enshrines the peaceful transfer of power. We don't just respect that, we cherish it. It also enshrines the rule of law, the principle that we are all equal in rights and dignity, freedom of worship and expression. We respect and cherish these values too, and we must defend them. Hours later, President Barack Obama was even more concili conciliatory. We are now all rooting for his success in uniting and leading the country. The peaceful transition of power is one of the hallmarks of our democracy, and over the next few months, we are going to show that, the, we're going to show that to the world. We have to remember that we're actually all on one team. The president added, the point though, is that we all go forward with a presumption of good faith in our fellow citizens, because that presumption of good faith is essential to a vibrant and functioning democracy. As if Donald Trump had not conned his way into hours of free press coverage, as though he had released and paid his taxes, or not brazenly denigrated our system of government 
from the courts and Congress to the election process itself. As if, in other words, he had not won the election precisely by acting in bad faith. Similar refrains were heard from various members of the liberal comment commentariat, with Tom Friedman vowing, I am not going to try to make my president fail, to Nick Kristof calling on the approximately 52% majority of voters who supported <coughs> someone other than Donald Trump to give Trump a chance. Even the politicians who have in the past appealed to the less establishment part of the Democratic electorate sounded the conciliatory note. Senator, Senator Elizabeth Warren, oh, we have a call, and I'll be finished with this article in a bit. Ooh. Hello? Hi, Roman. Hi. It's Julie. Hey, Julie. Thanks for calling. No problem. How are you doing? Good. It's good to hear your voice. <laughs> it's good to hear yours, too. Yeah, you're, you're on the air. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> what do I win? Um, a hug from a distance, and you win yes. the listenership of Perfect. millions. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are talking about something that I have been thinking a lot about today. Mm-hmm. which is uh, how to deal with anger and make it creative and productive. And what I've been doing so far today um, is just, you know, doing a lot of letter writing and calling and emailing um, uh, to government officials to try to express, you know, resistance to... Uh, the people who have been appointed that have, you know, white nationalist ties and, um, you know, the suggestions about the awful Muslim registry. And I'm finding it very therapeutic because I'm able to use the anger to sort of fight hate and hopefully increase love. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's very exciting because there's a lot of uh, full mailboxes and very busy people answering the phone. So it seems like a lot of people around the country are doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've come across that as well. And, uh, also I really love angry music. It helps me to (laughs) feel angry in a safe space. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Are there any particular songs that you feel really get you? Oh my God. Um, well, you know, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And he has a way of expressing frustration and uh, anger at stagnation and anger at, you know, familial problems and, and past history in a way that is sort of focused on freeing yourself. And so you're able to, like, channel that anger and frustration, but also focus on this dream of, you know, feeling free eventually. So that's quite helpful. Yeah. But sometimes nothing really beats a good, like, Nine Inch Nails song. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot <laughs> about them. <laughs> it depends what, you know, where where you want your anger to go, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and I think well, it's... those are my thoughts. I hope you guys are doing good. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. I feel like the more people can come together and share what we're going through, the less isolated we'll feel. That's so true, because when you're experiencing these big things, it's so easy to just, like, pull your down comforter over your head and 
<laughs> not want to ever see the light again, but we really do need to support each other. Yes. And thank you for always supporting me. Oh, for sure. Likewise. I feel the same <laughs> way about you. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll talk Thanks. to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for calling in. Okay. Have a good show. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, for Julie, for calling in. Ah, that's great. I really appreciate hearing from folks. And again, we're, we're in this together. And the more we can uh, recognize that, the, the better off we'll be. And I will. I'm a fan of Bruce as well, so I'll be sure to play some of his music uh, by the end of the show. And think of some good angry ones. A lot of the songs I like of his are more like, hmm, like I'm on fire, and that's not really an angry one. Um, there's a lot of, there's some, there's some, mm, we'll get some good ones though, for sure. We'll get some, we'll get some, oh yeah, we'll get some good ones. So I'm going to continue on with this article. Um, and then we'll take a music break and get into some more articles, um, of way folks are really, you know, coming together. Okay. So we got, so when we left off, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren promised to just put aside our differences. Senator Bernie Sanders was only slightly more cautious, vowing to try to find the good in Trump. To the degree that Mr. Trump is serious about pursuing policies that improve the lives of working families in this country, I and other progressives are prepared to work with him. However well-intentioned, this talk assumes that Trump is prepared to find common ground with his many opponents, respect the institutions of government, and repudiate almost everything he has stood for during his campaign. In short, it is treating him as a normal politician. There has until now been little evidence that he can be one. Okay. More dangerously, Clinton's and Obama's very civil passages, which ended in applause lines, seemed to close off alternative responses to his minority victory. It was hard not to be reminded of Neville Chamberlain's statement that we should seek by all means in our power to avoid war by analyzing possible causes, by trying to remove them, by discussion in a spirit of collaboration and goodwill. Both Clinton's and Obama's phrases about the peaceful transfer of power concealed the omission of a call to action. The protesters who took to the streets of New York, Los Angeles, and other American cities, many, many cities, on Wednesday night did so not because of Clinton's speech, but in spite of it. One of the falsehoods in the Clinton speech was the implied equivalency between civil resistance and insurgency. This is an autocrat's favorite con the explanation for the violent suppression of peaceful protests the world over. The second falsehood is the pretense that America is starting from scratch and its president-elect is a tabula rasa, or we are, we owe him an open mind. It was as though Donald Trump had not, in the course of his campaign, promised to deport U.S. citizens, promised to create a system of surveillance targeted specifically at Muslim Americans, promised to build a wall on the border with Mexico, advocated war crimes, endorsed torture, and repeatedly threatened to jail Hillary Clinton herself. It was as though those statements and many more could be written off as so much campaign hyperbole, and now that the campaign was over, Trump would be eager to become a regular, rule-abiding politician of the pre-Trump era. But Trump is anything but a regular politician, and this has been anything but a regular election. Trump will be only the fourth candidate in history, and the second in more than a century, to win the presidency after losing the popular vote. He's also probably the first candidate in history to win the presidency, despite having shown repeatedly by the national media to be a chronic liar, 
sexual predator, serial tax avoider, and race baiter who has attracted the likes of the Ku Klux Klan. More important, Trump is the first candidate in memory who ran not for president, but for autocrat, and won. I have lived in autocracies most of my life and have spent much of my career writing about Vladimir Putin's Russia. I have learned a few rules for surviving in an autocracy and salvaging your sanity and self-respect. It might be worth considering them now. Rule number one, and by the way, I'm again, I'm reading from the article in uh, New York. Go to nybooks.com by Masha Gessen. Rule number one, believe the autocrat. He means what he says. Whenever you find yourself thinking or hear others claiming that he is exaggerating, that our innate tendency to reach for a that is our innate tendency to reach for a rationalization. This will happen often. Humans seem to have evolved to practice denial when confronted publicly with the unacceptable. Back in the 1930s, the New York Times assured its readers that Hitler's anti-Semitism was all posture. More recently, the same newspaper made a telling choice between two statements made by Putin's press secretary, Dmitry Peskov, following a police crackdown on protesters in Moscow. The police acted mildly. I would have liked them to have acted more harshly. Rather than those protesters, liver should have been spread all over the pavement. Oh, rather than those protesters, liver should have been spread all over the pavement. Perhaps the journalists could not believe their ears, but they should both in the Russian case and in the American one. For all the admiration Trump has, has expressed for Putin, the two men are very different. If anything, there is even more reason to listen to everything Trump has said. He has no political establishment into which to fold himself following the campaign, therefore no reason to shed his campaign rhetoric. On the contrary, it is now the establishment that is rushing to accommodate him from the president who met with him at the White House on Thursday to the leaders of the Republican Party who are discarding their long-held scruples to embrace his radical positions. He has received the support he needed to win and the adulation he craves precisely because of his outrageous threats. Trump rally crowds have chanted, lock her up. They and he meant every word. If Trump does not go after Hillary Clinton on his first day in office, if he instead focuses on his acceptance speech, indicated he might on the unifying project of investing in infrastructure, which not coincidentally would provide an instant opportunity to reward his cronies and himself, it would be foolish to breathe a sigh of relief. Trump has made his plans clear, and he has made a compact with his voters to carry them out. These plans include not only dismantling legislation such as Obamacare, but also doing away with judicial restraint, and yes, punishing opponents. To begin jailing his political opponents, or just one opponent, Trump will begin by trying to capture members of the judicial system. Observers and even activists functioning in the normal election mode are fixated on the Supreme Court as the site of the highest risk impending Trump appointment. There is little doubt that Trump will appoint someone who will cause the court to veer to the right. There is also the risk that it might be someone who will wreak havoc with the very culture of the high court. And since Trump plans to use the judicial system to carry out his political vendettas, his pick for attorney general will be no less important. Imagine former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani or New York Jersey Governor Chris Christie going after Hillary Clinton on orders from President Trump. Quite aside from their approach to issues such as the Geneva Conventions, the use of police powers, criminal justice reforms, and other urgent concerns. Rule number two, do not be taken in by small signs of norma normality. 
Consider the financial markets this week, which, having tanked overnight, rebounded following the Clinton and Obama speeches. Confronted with political volatility, the markets become suckers for calming rhetoric from authority figures. So do people. Panic can be neutralized by falsely reassuring words about how the world will be as we know, about how the world as we know it has not ended. It is a fact that the world did not end on November 8th, nor at any previous time in history. Yet history has seen many catastrophes, and most of them unfolded over time. That time included periods of relative calm. One of my favorite thinkers, the Jewish historian Simon Dobnow, breathed a sigh of relief in early October 1939. He had moved from Berlin to Latvia, and he wrote to his friends that he was certain that the tiny country wedged between two tyrannies would retain its sovereignty, and Dubnow himself would be safe. Shortly after that, Latvia was occupied by the Soviets, then by the Germans, then by the Soviets again, but by that time, Dubnow had been killed. Dubnow was well aware that he was living through a catastrophic period in history. It's just that he, had th- he thought he had managed to find a pocket of normality within it. Rule number three, institutions will not save you. It took Putin a year to take over the Russian media and four years to dismantle its electoral system. The judiciary collapsed unnoticed. The capture of institutions in Turkey had been carried out even faster by a man once celebrated as a Democrat to lead Turkey into the EU. Poland has in less than a year undone half of a quarter century's accomplishments in building a constitutional democracy. Of course, the United States has much stronger institutions than Germany did in the 1930s, or Russia does today. Both Clinton Clinton and Obama, in their speeches, stressed the importance and strength of these institutions. The problem, however, is that many of these institutions are enshrined in political culture rather than in law. And all of them, including the ones enshrined in law, depend on the good faith of all actors to fulfill their purpose and uphold the Constitution. The national press is likely to be among the first institutional victims of Trumpism. There is no law that requires the presidential administration to hold daily briefings, none that guarantees media access to the White House. Many journalists may soon face a dilemma long familiar to those of us who have worked under autocracies. Fall in line or forfeit access. There is no good solution, even if there is a right answer, for journalism is difficult and sometimes impossible without access to information. The power of the investigative press, whose adherence to to fact has already been severely challenged by the conspiracy-minded, lie-spinning Trump campaign, will grow weaker. The world will grow murkier. Even in the unlikely event that some mainstream media outlets decide to declare themselves in opposition to the current government, or even simply to report its abuses and failings, the president will get to frame many issues. Coverage and thinking will drift into a Trumpian direction, just as it did during the campaign. When, for example, the candidates argued, in essence, whether Muslim Americans bear collective responsibility for the acts of terrorism, or can redeem themselves by becoming the eyes and ears of law enforcement. Thus was xenophobia further normalized, paving the way for Trump to make good on his promises to track American Muslims and ban Muslims from entering the United States. Rule number four, be outraged. If you follow rule number one and believe what the autocrat elect is saying, you will not be surprised. But in the face of the impulse to normalize, it is essential to maintain one's capacity for shock. This will lead people to call you unreasonable and hysterical and accuse you of overreacting. It is no fun to be the only hysterical person in the room. Prepare yourself. 
Despite losing the popular vote, Trump has secured as much power as any American leader in recent history. The Republican Party controls both houses of Congress. There is a vacancy on the Supreme Court. The country is at war abroad and has been in a state of mobilization for 15 years. This means not only that Trump will be able to move fast, but also that he will become accustomed to the unusually, to an unusually high level of political support. He will want to maintain and increase it. His ideal is the totalitarian, 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 ugh, totalitarian, total, totalitarian, total. I can't. I don't know why I can't say the word. Total. Maybe I don't want to say the word. Maybe I don't want to believe it. Totalitarian level popularity, numbers of Vladimir Putin, and the way to achieve that is through mobilization. There will be more wars abroad and at home. Rule number five, don't make compromises. Like Ted Cruz, who made the journey from calling Trump utterly immoral and a pathological liar, to endorsing him in late September, to praising his win as an amazing victory for the American worker, Republican politicians have fallen into line. Conservative pundits who broke ranks during the campaign will return to the fold. Democrats in Congress will begin to make the case for cooperation for the sake of getting anything done, or at least, they will say, minimizing the damage. Non-governmental organizations, many of which are reeling at the moment, faced with a transition period in which there is no opening for their input, will grasp at chances to work with the new administration. This will be fruitless. Damage cannot be minimized, much less reversed, when mobilization is the goal. But worse, it will be, be soul-destroying. In an autocracy, politics as the art of possible is in fact utterly immoral. Utterly immoral. Those who argue for cooperation will make the case, much as President Obama did in his speech, that cooperation is essential for the future. They will be willfully ignoring the, co- the corrupting touch of autocracy from which the future must be protected. Rule number six. Remember the future. Nothing lasts forever. Donald Trump certainly will not, and Trumpism, to the extent that it is centered on Trump's persona, will not either. Failure to imagine the future may have lost the Democrats this election. They offered no vision of the future to counterbalance Trump's all-too-familiar white populist vision of an imaginary past. They had also long ignored the strange and outdated institutions of American democracy that call out for reform, like the Electoral College, which has now cost the Democratic Party two elections in which Republicans won with the minority of the popular vote. That should not be normal. But resistance, stubborn, uncompromising, outraged, should be. Um, and with that, we're going to, uh, play some music. Um, and I'm looking for a Springsteen song. I'm a big fan of his. That's an angry one. And had I been a little bit more prepared, I would have had something ready and I'm kind of going through and a lot of these, I feel just aren't quite angry enough. And so I'm, I'm looking for a good one to play. Um, that I can, I can get to. So I'm just going to take a moment here while I, while I look through here. Um, and perhaps we'll have to go with the, uh, uh, this one, which is actually, it's a pretty angry one. Um, uh, give me one second, please. As I, I'm a little bit, 
out of sorts. Um, yeah, that article, if you want to check it out, again, it's written by Masha Gessen. And uh, it's uh, Autocracy Rules for Survival. And I highly recommend uh, folks uh, check it out. So, um, yes, yeah, taking a moment to to get to where I want to get. I'm having difficulty finding the song I'd like to play, but we're going to get there and I'll just continue talking, uh, in the meantime. So it's a live version. Um, and it's a, it's an angry song and it doesn't have the reputation of being an angry song and it's been appropriated a lot, but here we go. That version's a little bit, uh, look for another version. That's all right. That's one great thing about doing this show is, uh, there's, we can do it any way we want to. And that's pretty good. Um, here we go. And again, this, this song was appropriated and it's a, it's an anti-war song. So...
and welcome back to the weekly review that was bruce playing that for julie um that's a great song it's an anti-war song and it's about how this person gets drafted to go fight a war uh killing people and they come back to the states and uh the country's not there for them and of course it was it was interesting when in the 80s this came out and dum dum which is a very kind way of I'm using it. I'm calling him a dum-dum. I think it's very, that's me being very generous uh, for Reagan. Uh, he tried to use that song in a, in an ad or a political campaign. And Bruce was like, what the fuck, dude? You're like, you're, you're like, you're all about the military. This song is an anti, an anti-war song. And because it's like, I guess it's got a good beat and got a good rhythm. Folks refuse to hear the message behind it. And initially the original version was much more like a, kind of folky and a real big protest song. And then you add in the keyboards, and then everyone's like, yeah, USA! And it's really like, whoa, no, this is what's happening. So, I feel it's a very, very angry song. If you listen to the lyrics, it's a fucking angry song. Super angry. On to some good things. People coming together and fucking shit up in a good way. Uh, It's important to recognize what we're up against, and also really, really important to celebrate how people are coming together and taking action. Super important. It's just as important to recognize that because I feel like if we think that nothing is happening or people aren't acting up, then it's like, what's the use? But then when we see people doing things that are like accomplishing good things, that's all the more incentive to recognize that we also can take part. There's a lot of things we can do to come together and fight back. So I'm all for that. All for that. A thousand percent. This comes from the Daily News. Workers removed Trump's name from three New York City apartment buildings after residents petition. And the, the, the photo accompanying this is fucking great. It's a dude holding a giant T in his hand. Super awesome. The article written by Leonard Green. This came out on November 16th. Donald Trump has left the building. Work crews began removing the president-elect's name from three New York City apartment buildings where residents complained about the billionaire's brand. The election didn't go their way, but tenants in the Trump Place buildings alongside along Riverside Drive still managed to vote Trump out, gathering 600 names on a dump the Trump name petition, saying that the new leader of the free world had to take a walk. On Tuesday, a week after Trump's political upset, Equity Residential, which owns the buildings, gave in, informing tenants in an email that they would begin removing the gold Trump Place letters from each entrance at 140, 160, and 180 Riverside Drive and replace them with street addresses. Residents demanded the change even before Trump's victory as concerns grew over his divisive rhetoric about Mexicans, Muslims, and women. The petition, launched in October, cited Trump's appalling treatment of women, his history of racism, his attacks on immigrants, his mockery of the disabled, his attacks avoidance, and his outright lying. Trump developed the apartment buildings in the 1990s, and they are among seven buildings in Manhattan that bear Trump's name. While some are managed by the Trump Organization, the three Riverside Drive apartment buildings are now controlled by Equity Residential. We are assuming a more neutral building identity that will appeal to all current and future residents, the Chicago-based company said. But not all the residents are eager to see the signs go. Todd Shapiro, president professional who owns several apartments, he owns several apartments, so he must be really important, who owns several apartments and Trump-branded apartment buildings, said his neighbors are giving up a lot. Over my 20 years of living in a Trump-branded building, I can personally attest that real estate values are more consistently higher than any of my non-Trump neighbors because of Trump's name, said Shapiro. The name sticks out. Donald Trump knows marketing. Fuck you, Todd! I love having this show. I really do. Um, didn't mean to end that story on a, on a sad note, but it's also just like, shut the fuck up. 
The folks who are putting, I mean, that's the whole thing, is people who put greed above anything else, above people's safety. That's why we're in this mess. Okay. Here's something local. I'm going to get back to the other folks. This is another way to come together. This is more of a local thing for the Bay Area. And this is um, ways you can support. Um, there's folks who are protesting, and there's a way that you can, you can support them. And this is trying to get in touch with uh, George Gascon, uh, who's the San Francisco district attorney. And uh, this is also on the page. Uh, you can also message me if you would like to hear more information. Okay. So uh, it says, thank you so much for your support by signing on to the letter to San Francisco District Attorney George Gascon, asking him to, to drop the charges against the Bay Bridge 25. Our next hearing is this Friday, November, that's today, November 18th. And we'd like to ask you to please do five things this week. Uh, one is you can call George and ask him to drop the charges against the Bay Bridge 25. Phone number is 415-553-1751. You can email George, attorney at sfgov.org. Tweet George, ask him to drop the charges against the Bay Bridge 25. They can go to his Facebook page. And uh, the last thing was happened on Wednesday, so unfortunately we're too late for that. But this is just in solidarity with the Bay Bridge 25. And for all folks, a lot, I know there are people who will be, pro people have been and are arrested for protesting. So for the folks who are kind of, this is, I guess, for the folks who aren't aware of it, um, do what you can, whether it's providing bail, providing support, putting pressure on elected officials or people in positions of power to get them out, uh, do what you can. So that's, that's like, that's something that's really important is to, if you can't be there in person, do what you can to get the word out for folks who are putting their bodies on the line. Definitely. And not, not to be a shaming thing, because I recognize not everyone can put their bodies on the line, for sure. Um, but for the folks who are, we can support them in, a, in myriad ways. If you're at home on your computer, you can make a fucking phone call. Why am I swearing so much? Because I'm angry, maybe. This is giving me hope, though, because there's uh, people coming together. That's the thing. That's the point. People coming together, doing good things. Here's another one from Fusion. How detained immigrants joined last night's anti-Trump protest from behind bars. Kick ass. November 10th. Wow. Uh, I've had some coffee. This is why I'm getting so uh, amped up. It's also, I've been talking to people and, you know, doing some social media activism, but which is, I think, for the most part, sharing. I, I see I see both sides. I get I get that there's more that can be done, and also it's really important to talk about, really important to talk about and recognize we're not alone in this. This is written by Jorge Rivas. Los Angeles, when anti-Trump protesters turned the corner onto Alameda Street last night, the darkened building on the corner suddenly flickered to life with a wall of winking lights coming through the razor-thin windows. Those are immigrants who are facing deportation, a woman yelled, pointing to the Metropolitan Detention Center. An electric charge went through the crowd as protesters realized what was happening. Dozens of detained immigrants were showing their support for the anti-Trump march by flicking flashlights and reading lights on and off inside their cells. It provided a surreal light show for the street protest, which came to an unscheduled stop outside the building to cheer the unseen inmates locked inside. They provide a video here on the page, uh, and you can see the lights. Uh, protesters who had been chanting, not my president, and fuck Donald Trump, turned the march into a rally as people in the street made a connection with the immigrants detained on the other side of the concrete walls. They have some more images here. Uh, inmates who didn't have flashlights banged on their windows, apparently with metal objects, creating a loud staccato of clicks that could be heard from the street. It's unknown how many detainees joined the protest from inside, but the detention center can hold 908 inmates. It was a powerful bonding moment for people who feel marginalized by Trump's America and a sign that they aren't going to take it quietly. Awesome. See? See? Another one. Anti-Trump women's rights meetup reaches max cap. Hundreds spill into the street. This comes from Patch.com, written by Sarah Kaufman. This was on November 17th. 
After changing the venue three times, event organizers still found the stadium at maximum capacity with a spillover of hundreds. Downtown Brooklyn, New York. The National Women's Liberation Movement, New York City chapter, has monthly meetings that usually attract dozens of people. But this month, its meeting attracted thousands from all five boroughs. And five includes Staten Island. I'm sorry. That was mean for me to say. I'm sorry. I know a lot of great... That was mean of me to say. See? I'm not going to... I shouldn't do that. That was really mean. I take that back and I apologize. Okay. A line of hundreds of excited people wrapped around the block Tuesday night outside a stadium packed to capacity with thousands of New Yorkers participating in the NWL meeting. They were all filled with furor over a Donald Trump win, and they were all there to plan and mobilize after the election to, pro- to protect their human rights, they told Patch. This is one freaking huge movement, one woman in line yelled when she found out she couldn't get into the stadium. The vast majority of the attendees found out about the meeting through a Facebook event. The NWL always posts Facebook events for their monthly meetings, but this one went viral. Part of the spillover of hundreds of people who weren't admitted into the stadium gathered at Cadman Square a block away and held an organized discussion. One by one, women announced to the group their fears and their hopes. The group debated about the best ways to fight for affordable health care, the right to get a safe abortion, and the importance of women, especially women of color, voicing their opinions loudly and proudly to both family and local elected officials. We are all in a lot more danger now, a woman named Maggie told the group. We are now fucked, and it's the billionaire's fault, and it's the army of the KKK and the boys' club culture that keeps it all in place. Aida, a grad student and teaching assistant at the New York School in Manhattan, said girls woke up on Saturday to find swastikas painted on their doors, along with the words, ugh, I'm not going to repeat those words, but they're not nice words. Fuck that. New school is like a progressive island in this progressive island. So we are all feeling really unsafe right now, she said. Elizabeth Custer, a woman who put together a flyer on on how she believes a woman's right to choose affects men in their checkbooks, handed out dozens of the flyers for women to place in men's bathrooms. The predominant mood was anger and frustration that Trump and VP-elect Mike Pence and Trump's pending administration have said they will punish women for abortion and take away Obamacare, which many of the women believed is not sufficient. Speakers urged people to call their local officials and demand they denounce Steve Bannon, Trump's future chief White House strategist, uh, strategist for his anti-Semitic statements and ties to Breitbart, a publication many in the group said promotes bigotry and white supremacism. Or you can call Mike Pence and tell him how your period is, one woman joked. The group was anxious. It wouldn't be able to bottle in its anger past, was anxious. It wouldn't be able to bottle its anger past Inauguration Day to force political change. This hardly ever happens. So many women together speaking out, one woman told the crowd, I'm just so scared. I'm really scared it's going, it's going to die here. Take this power home. Have a fucking voice. Don't let this die here. The New York chapter of the NWL urged people to stay involved by emailing nwl at womensliberation.org or calling 347-560-4695 and or come to the next meeting. And again, you can contact them by emailing nwl at womensliberation.org or calling 347-560-4695. And again, you can find this article at patch.com and the title of the article, uh, excuse me, it was anti-Trump women's rights meetup reaches max cap. Hundreds spilled into the street. We need more of this and we need, I think even more importantly, is to keep that energy going and to and to like just let it grow and to make it grow and to not, um, and to not have it, uh, disintegrate but really need folks to keep on going uh 
Miss Major had a great post and it was like very, it was very brief and very succinct and just really fucking right on. And I uh, might take me a moment to, to find it exactly, but it was pretty much just like, this is the time to stand up and fight. And if you can't, you know, tap someone else to take your place and then get up when you can. I'm not doing it justice, but it was a fucking right on, just super badass way of looking at it. And I think about that too. Even if you can't go at the moment, you know, tag someone else and they can go in your place and vice versa and take care of each other and keep on, you know, moving, moving forward with it. So again, super important to recognize what's happening across the country, people mobilizing, people protesting. This is what's been needed to happen for a very long time. Back when Molly was a co-host of the show a couple years ago, I would kind of joke, but kind of serious talk about like women kind of taking over. And I still mean that. And perhaps this is what it's looking like. It's women kind of coming together, leading the way. Um, fucking be angry, please, please. And I think in our culture, we're told not to express our emotions, um, especially anger. And anger is so fucking valid. And there's so much to be angry about. Even before this, even like a, even two weeks ago, there's a lot to be, there's been ugh, hundreds of years, so much to be fucking angry about. So what can we do to hold on to that and to use that energy as a way of not taking down each other, not hurting each other, um, but to use it collectively, collaboratively to take down the powers that be? I would love to see women at the fucking front of that. I mean, just fucking do it, man. Do it. You have my support, undying support. Right on. Keep doing it. Here's another, I mean, here's something else, too. Uh, this is from Time Magazine, which I recognize is super mainstream, so, you know, bleh. but, again, that's the cool thing. I don't have any sponsors. Also, if you want to sponsor this show, please, that would be great. Contact me, find me. Uh, if you're kind and able to, and you would like to, to sponsor the show, I really could use the financial support. It'd be great. I mean, I'm happy to, to do what I can to do this, but it's always been a, a passion of mine, and I'm happy to... Um, I, I do this, I use my time to do it, my energy, my resources to do this show and anything you can support like financially spreading the word, anything at all, please do get in touch with me. I'd really appreciate it. So yeah, if you can, it would help me out a lot. There we go. That's like probably the, one of the first few times I've been able to really ask for that. Yeah. Sponsorship would come in so handy right now as always. Um, independent media, independent voices will be out there. We need them before they're taken away. This comes from, speaking of not independent voices, but I like the story, so we're going to read it. Time Magazine. Protesters stormed the building where Donald Trump's transition team is based. This came out also on November 17th and was written by Julia Zorthian. They chanted and held signs demanding Trump fire chief strategist Steve Bannon. Let's see if we can get the video to play so we can hear it. Um, and let's see. Um... I'm going to start reading, and then perhaps the video will start playing, and maybe it won't, but either way, it'll work. Oh, that's... What's happening here? Technical difficulties. That's great. Um, okay. Protesters marched into the lobby of the General Services Administration in Washington, D.C. on Thursday, where Donald Trump's White House transition team has been meeting. They were there to protest Trump's appointment of Steve Bannon as his chief White House strategist. Patch reports. The group chanted and held signs calling for Trump to fire Bannon, formerly the head of the alt-right, which they, we should just call fucking white supremacist, news website Breitbart. Bannon has given voice of some to some of the unsavory forces floating around the conservative movement's fringe, including a resurgence of white nationalism. His appointment has fueled anger, uh, with critics decrying Bannon's connections to racist and anti-Semitic views. The Jewish activist group, if not now, played a role in organizing the march, and protesters identified themselves on Twitter as a Jewish resistance. Once inside the GSA lobby, uh, protesters continued to rally. Let's see if we can hear this. And uh, there's a few 
we have a few videos and oh and we can't we can't really get the sound i'm not sure what's happening here with that but they have the videos so um with a lot of it's like it's like totally packed lots of people in there a lot of people holding signs um just completely packed and that's fucking awesome okay and that's it so very cool uh really glad to see people over there taking action uh that's wonderful there's another there's another article that's similar that i'm going to get to if i can just uh might take me a moment to excuse me to find it you're listening to mutiny radio coming up next at 2 p.m is women's magazine with global val following that is the common thread collective with global val and diamond dave whitaker um yeah lots of good stuff you can come by mutiny radio anytime Here's a thing. Here's another thing you can do while I'm looking for the article I was going to read. Um, boycott Trump supporters. New Balance, PayPal, Papa John's. Papa fucking John's. I hate it. I'm watching the fucking movie and there's Papa John's sponsorship. And I get it. Like, believe me, as a fucking... What am I swearing? As an artist, I get that, like... I mean, maybe the reason that part of me doesn't, like, make a lot of art or I do some theater stuff. But, like, I, I have difficulty producing things is because there's a lack of capital. So I get that, like, if you're making a movie... Sure, call Papa John's. They're probably going to say yes. They're probably going to give you some money. But don't do it anymore. If you're a movie maker and you're listening to this, don't do business with Papa John's. It's not worth it. New Balance, PayPal, Papa John's, UFC, Yingling Brewery, Hobby Lobby, Coors, Chick-fil-A, Lending Tree, Kushner Companies, and the New York Observer, the Sands Casino Vegas, ugh, Sheldon Adelson, he's not cool, uh, Coke Industry Products, Angelsoft, Dixie, Mardi Gras, Brawny, Vanity Fair Paper Products, uh, Breitbart News, of course. Don't support them. Uh, capitalism, there's that illusion that there's a, we have a lot of choices in this world. We do have a lot of choices, but as far as things to buy, um, a lot of that money goes to terrible fucking people. So if you're able to, and I recognize that's, that there's like a classist argument too, because sometimes people can't, as, as far as who to boycott, that's, one has to be in the position where they can afford something. So I totally, or afford not to do it. So I totally get that, and I appreciate that, and I want to make sure that's clear. If you're the ability to boycott any of these fucking products, don't buy them. Tell your friends not to buy them too. If people won't re- listen to reason or morals, they might listen to their their wallet. I prevented myself from swearing right there. Ah, <sighs> okay. So on the flip side, a business that's good is Grubhub. They have a there's like 50% female employees, which is awesome. Again, I don't believe in the binary, but for all intents and purposes, reading the, the that news fact, that's cool. And also the CEO spoke up against Trump. So, um, you know, obviously support like Narrow and Planned Parenthood and uh, like Fierce and Audrey Lord Project and uh, Sylvia Rivera Law Project and more like indie super organizations. Before it's gone, take it back. Transgender Law Center. Like there's a lot of other organizations to support too. So, but if you're in the consumer end of things, definitely look to uh, where you're spending your money because that also makes a big difference. Uh, there's a resources for parents and educators. There's a lot of great things that people are sharing. Um, check that out. Post-election 2016, it's a Google Doc. Um, I'll share that. I'm gonna share it right now on the weekly review page and that way you can find it because um, there's just a lot to get to and it's also easier for... Um, for me to share it now and then folks can check it out and as we're running a little bit low on time but it's great it's like that's a great problem to have there's so many resources being shared right now that there's a lot there's a lot of information out there and people are really putting that information out and i feel like that's a really concrete way of making things better so that's pretty awesome 
And so the article I'm looking for is for Jews and Muslims coming together. It's an organization that was like focusing on that, which is awesome. And if you haven't seen the, oh gosh, there's another article too. There's so many great articles. One, my even get what I was going to talk about that the IWW uh, posted to escape Trump's America. We need to bring the militant labor tactics of 1946 back to the future. I'm going to share that also right now as we're running low on time and I want to make sure folks have a chance to read it. So I'm sharing that right now. Again, go to the weekly review page, which is on evil Facebook, facebook.com slash weekly rev. And again, to, to escape Trump's America, we need to bring the militant labor tactics of 1946 back to the future. Check that out. So many different ways of fighting back. And that's beautiful and wonderful. Love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, something else that's super cute. There was a Trump protest on this kids game and people are in shock. And the quote beneath that is kids these days are woke as fuck. And that was on a, it was a BuzzFeed article written by Tanya Chen as a game like about penguins. I'm not sure. I've never played it before, but like all these, um, penguin icons, icons, uh, no, that's not the right word. What's the word? See, if I played more video games, maybe I'd be more, oh, when you create like a character, it's, it's totally like, a, oh, avatar. Um, and at, like all there are all these kids game, these kids who are saying Trump is not my president or Trump is a racist. Um, so in a kid's game, uh, which is awesome. I have a lot of faith in the next generation. Totally cool. Another quick little infographic to read, very brief, but gets to the point. Apartheid was legal. The Holocaust was legal. Slavery was legal. Colonialism was legal. Legality is a matter of power, not justice. Very clear. Says it right there. Moving along. Uh, just, oh, there's so much happening um, the police officer was charged in the fatal shooting of uh, Philando Castile in Minneapolis. Many of us remember hearing about that case. Um, so it's it's good that the fucking officer is charged. Um, on the flip side, on the OPD, those officers were not charged in there was like a sex trafficking case. Um, but and again, like the I have little faith in the law and justice system. However, or justice system, whatever you want to call it, when at least these these cops are being held, begin to be held accountable. That's a step in the right direction. So grateful that that's happening. Um, th yeah, these, these people need to be held accountable. Okay. Moving along. Um, so again, I mentioned before the Southern poverty law center, um, has mentioned more than 400 incidents of hateful harassment and intimidation since the election. And this was from a few days ago. So I, I would imagine it's, unfortunately it's been, it's increased. Um, I posted a, a, a post, I posted a post, uh, to like people share, what are you doing? What are ways people can help? So one person, uh, Matt said, show up at local government meetings, even the super boring ones, even the ones that seem like they have nothing to do with the issues you care about. Wherever you live, there are people who have been doing this for a long, for years and the politicians recognize them and know who they are. That makes it difficult for anyone new to have a voice, to have a voice, the process, to have a voice, to have a, to have a voice, the process. Okay. Um, and that's also true. I mean, yeah, San Francisco, I've spoken a couple times at the Board of Supervisors meetings. The first time I was heard, I got this awesome sheet from the Coalition on Homelessness, which is a fucking awesome, fortunately, fucking Prop Q passed, fucking fascists here in government. Whew, calm down, which now makes it illegal for folks to live in their fucking tents. Um, there's not, there's like a hundreds long line to get into the homeless shelters here in San Francisco. And Prop Q was just this, it was a house of car, it's just a, Mark Farrell and Scott Wiener, who are very anti-homeless in their policies, uh, pushed it forward, and unfortunately, that that passed. If you have any currency to spend, Coalition on Homelessness is an awesome organization here in San Francisco. So anyway, 
I went, I spoke at a board of supervisors meeting a couple times. Once was about um, just statistics about how San Francisco criminalizes so many homeless folks here. There's now there's maybe at least going to be 23 laws on the books that criminalize homeless people. It's terrible. It's disgusting and it's backwards. Another time I went and I spoke about an incident that I had been in, in, involved with when I saw a police, a police officer harassing uh, folks who were on the street. They weren't doing anything. They weren't harming anyone. And this little ding dong uh, was going to try to write them a summons and was just, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? Like you're harming. And it was just like, and I'm, I'm really good at sensing energy. And I could just, I was walking by with a friend of mine. I'm like, no, this is not okay. This is not right. And got into it with that, with that officer. So then I went to the board of supervisors and half of them were paying attention. Half of them weren't, but it was like, uh, officers, if they're here to serve and protect, supposedly, uh, why are they harassing homeless people? Some like the most marginalized people in the city. Why are they harassing them? Excuse me. So yes, you can do that. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> wanted to mention that. Also, I know some folks who work at tech companies. I don't know if they listen to the show. I know one friend who works at a tech company. He said he listened to the show once, but it was too depressing for him. Maybe he's changed his mind. I won't name him because I, I don't name names unless you're a fucking fascist. Mark Farrell. And uh, he's on the board of supervisors and just ugh, really, ugh, not okay. Um, ugh, ugh, I get, I just get creeps like, ugh, ugh. Um, if you work at a tech company or a company that offers free snacks, um, take them, pass them out to people, redistribute them, redistribute the fucking wealth. Really easy to do that. That's another thing. Um, okay. So there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways to help folks. Okay. Um, there's a number, um, if you call the number to, <laughs> that's towards the end of the show and I'm like, ah, um, here's a number to call. Here's a number you should call if you experience discrimination in New York. And I'm opening that article right now so I can, I can get to that. Uh, New York city district attorneys vow to prosecute crimes fueled by bigotry. So I'm going to look up that number right now. It's a new hotline. Um, and do they have it in the article? Do they have it listed in the article? That would be really nice if they did. Where is it? I'm looking through the article. I'm browsing it toll-free. I get that. I get that. Where's the number? Here we go. New Yorkers who wish to report bias or discrimination can call the State Division of Human Rights at 888-392-3644 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. So there you go. That's something right there. Resources, everybody. Resources. I'm still looking for that other article I was trying to get to going to look a little bit further and if i don't find it i'll go on to some other articles because we still got to talk about the dapl um protesters in olympia were like blocking trains from like getting stuff to the to the the pipeline that's pretty awesome there's also been they've been dumping chemical weapons on protesters the cops in olympia were doing it and also chemical weapons have been used on the water protectors in north dakota facebook's been censoring some of the news so i'm going to fucking repeat it um they've been using helicopters and just again using chemical weapons against water protectors how sick is that? And also, if you're not on the side of the water protectors, what what's taken what's taking you so long? Ooh, <sighs> some more stuff to read. There's a lot. There's a lot. This is a it's a good outlet, and I'm glad to be able to provide the space for this. Okay, so <laughs> okay, this is um, from Mike.com. Exclusive Black Lives Matter issues a statement on Trump's election. Very important to read this. And this was written by Aaron Morrison, and it came out on November 15th. On Tuesday, national leaders of Black Lives Matter Global Network said their mandate was unchanged after the election of a white supremacist to the highest office in American government. In a statement released exclusively to Mike, 
BLM said it would continue to demand an end to police brutality and to fight for the socioeconomic and political empowerment of black people through ongoing organizing efforts. Mike has reached out to the group for further comment on the statement and will publish a follow-up. Below is the statement in its entirety. Our mandate has not changed. Organize and end to all state-sanctioned violence until all Black Lives Matter. What is true today and has been true since the seizure of this land is that when Black people and women build power, white people become resentful. Last week, that resentment manifested itself in the election of a white supremacist to the highest office in American government. For in the three years since Black Lives Matter organized, we've called for more safety, not less. We've demanded an end to anti-Black state violence. We've asked white people to organize their communities to courageously help their loved ones understand the importance of solidarity and to show up for us, for themselves, and democracy. In the months leading up to this election, we have demanded support from white people in dismantling white supremacy, a farce that persuaded some to believe we were living in post in a post-racial America while simultaneously rolling back the rights of black people and other people of color. White supremacy fortified the decision to disregard racism and sexism at serious variables in the outcome of this election. Even if everyone didn't agree politically, at the very least, we deserve to have our collective humanity affirmed. We feel more than disappointed or angry. We feel betrayed. Donald Trump has promised more death, disenfranchisement, and deportations. We believe him. The violence he will inflict in office and the permission he gives for others to commit violence is just beginning to emerge. In the face of this, our commitment remains the same, protect ourselves and our communities. But we ask ourselves, how do we reconcile our vision for future generations' prosperity with the knowledge that more than half of white voting Americans believe a white supremacist can and should decide what's best for this country? We organize. Here's what we know. Civic engagement is one way to engage democracy, and our lives don't revolve around election cycles. We are obliged to earn the trust of future generations to defend economic, social, and political power for all people. We are confident that we have the commitment, the people power, and the vision to organize our country into a safe place for black people, one that leads with inclusivity and a commitment to justice, not intimidation and fear. We also need and deserve an elaborate strategy to eradicate both white supremacy and implicit bias towards it. We must reckon with it, the anti-blackness of America's history that led to this political moment. We continue to operate from a place of love for our people and a deep yearning for real freedom. In our work, we center the most marginalized and look to them for leadership. We fight for our collective liberation because we are clear that until black people are free, no one is free. We are committed to practicing empathy for one another in this struggle, but we do not and will not negotiate with racists, fascists, or anyone who demands that we compromise our existence. We affirm our existence. We affirm our right to not only live, but to thrive, to exist in a world where our humanity is seen and honored. We are organizing to realize a world in which our faiths are held in esteem, our identities are respected, and our families are prioritized. We deserve a world in which our children are protected, where our water is sacred, and where, we're, and where we are given a fair chance to decide our fates. Because it is our duty to win, we will continue to fight. And today, like every day before it, we demand reparations, economic justice, a commitment to black futures, and an end to the war on black people in the United States and around the world. The work will be harder, but the work is the same. And again, you can find this at mike.com, and this was uh, published by uh, Aaron Morrison, who's a staff writer. Um, that was the, the statement from Black Lives Matter on the election. <sighs> okay. Yes. Yes. And yes. Okay.
So we are coming to the end of the show. Um, there's a few more things I wanted to get to. One quick story. Censored news. North Dakota cops get doxxed and don't like it. Um, we can perhaps get to that one. Circle back next week. Um, there's another article that'd be great to read from indigenous action media accomplices, not allies, abolishing the ally industrial complex. And that kind of talks about how the non many folks who work in the nonprofit recognize it's really problematic. And, um, I'll just read the first art. Uh, oh gosh, there's so much to get to. I'll read the first part of it here. The ally industrial complex has been established by activists whose careers depend on the issues they work to address. These nonprofit capitalists advance their careers off the struggles they ostensibly support. They often work in the guise of grassroots or community-based and are not necessarily tied to any organization. They build organizational or individual capacity and power, establishing themselves comfortably among the top ranks in their hierarchy of oppressions, oppression as they strive to become the ally champions of the most oppressed. While the exploitation of solidarity and support is nothing new, the commodification and exploitation of allyship is a growing trend in the activism industry. That's a big article. I'm going to post it right now on the Weekly Review page so people can read it in full. Because I feel like uh, that's that's really important. So as I do that, um, we're going to round out the show. I'm going to play some music. Um, first, it's going to be an Indigo Girls song. I very rarely play. I don't think I've ever played Indigo Girls on this song, on the show. Uh, a friend introduced me to them recently. I mean, I had heard of them, but like not the song. And then we'll do another one. And then coming up at 2 p.m. will be Global Val with Women's Magazine. So here's a song, and then we'll be back in a little bit. was an accident accidents happen in improv there's that idea that uh there's no such thing as a mistake and you just kind of go with it but uh i really want to finish listening to this song so we're gonna get there and then we're gonna play another song uh so here we go 
welcome back. Uh, so we're going to be playing one more song, and then coming up next will be Global Vow with Women's Magazine. Julian mentioned some Nine Inch Nails and some good angry music. And uh, um, let's see if we can get this here. This is a song I haven't heard before, so I can't, I'm not sure what the lyrics are going to be like, but the title is We're In This Together. And ideally, that's a great thing. So hopefully Trent won't let us down and say something super problematic. I can't, I can't guarantee it, but hopefully this will really reassure that, yes, we are in this together. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and we'll be back next Friday. Wake to the sound